Jake fucking Harrell. Hey, I can't help you. All right. So. Hey, back. You're frozen for like 15 seconds. A huge one, man. And welcome, everybody, to a quality podcast. Your host John Packer Jr. I am joined by co-host Jake Harrell. Jake, welcome to the show. Uh, you got the accent wrong. It's yuck. Jake Harrell is joining us today, and we are going to talk about technology, especially the dreaded ERP. Um, so, Jake, let's just start where you know a lot of business managers and continuous improvement professionals start out, which is you've got a business and the software doesn't really support what you need to do to execute the business. Um, How common is that? How fair is that statement? Um, I'm a little biased in my assessment, but I would say that that statement happens just about 100% of the time. Yeah, yeah. So so we've we've set the groundwork. This is a normal experience for a lot of folks. So I want to dial back because here's where we're going, folks. For all of you that are listening out there, we are going to talk about how to deal with technology in your business. Some things that you can do right now to get better and to kind of drive your continuous improvement efforts. um, If you are a business owner, how you can take advantage of technology to help you get better and further your business goals. But to get there, we kind of have to back all the way up to the suck because that's where most businesses are, right? Mm-hmm. And Embrace it properly. Yes, embrace it properly. So, so you kind of have a few different levels, right? You have the one level, which is the no-tech company. And the no-tech company is in a great place because everything works. It's like paper-based, very low-tech at least. You know, there's not like a software system driving it. Um, but the problem is, one, scalability, and two, um, you are basically dependent on a couple of experts um, who are managing like a paper system and maybe they're, you know, a risk, like, you know, they're going to, they're approaching retirement age or something like that, right? Um, So there's a risk there. So that's like one bucket. You have some companies that are in there and then you have companies that have just piled on junk after junk. I work for one company. I'm not making this up. I know a lot of people can relate to this, but I was actually given a website, like a URL as a manager. And I had to access this URL and all that URL was, all it was, was like 27 links to different software. So I had to go in there. I had to type in the link, go to this webpage. And it was just like, so like you had to scroll down to get to all the links. Well, this is what we use for this. And this is what we use for this. And this is what we use for that, right? And so that's like the multi-layer bucket. And then you have some that have just sold their soul to the devil. And they have like an ERP that runs everything. Not very well, right? So I'm not going to, you know, mention any names. <laughs> <laughs> um, you but, poor yeah. sap. You poor sap. You are really yeah, suck. Right? Ask 400. (laughs) (laughs) So, but so you have like these, these kind of starting buckets for people and we're constantly going into businesses and the challenges that we're trying to improve the business. And we keep getting told, well, we can't do that because the technology doesn't support it. Fair. Only every day, only every, every, the consistent roadblock. Um, so that's the, that's where we're at, right? That's the, the starting point for a lot of folks. So let's just briefly go off into a little bit about continuous improvement, right? And usually when I'm working with a company, I am attempting to use the different parts of an operating system to kind of bring all of the people, all of the silos that the organization might have, the matrix, the leadership, onto the same page, right? The goal is, you know, strategy deployment, right? And so you have some um, different methods, right, and approaches and tools. But the first thing that we typically do, you and I, 
is we will actually do a process map like a swim lane map. And it's a great opportunity for management to learn how their business actually creates value. What are all the steps? Who are all the people involved? How long does it take, right? To actually create value. I feel like we've beaten that over the head more than once, but I cannot tell you how many times I've walked into a place and it's like, hey, we sell a thing that'll do this for you, or you can bring me in and I'm just going to do this for you. Like it's it's, it's yeah. literally not going to change structure strategy. Well, and and I'll be frank, I have never once, not once in my career, ever done a process map from you know demand creation, demand generation, whether that is like an order dropping into the system or whatever, to demand fulfillment. I've never done a full process map and not had multiple people in the company, mostly managers, actually learn about the business, right? And then, you know, they get excited and they're like, well, I really, it takes 17 steps to unload a trailer? I thought it was like two, you know? And now I have to go watch it. Yay, we got you to go to Gemba, you know? Um, we definitely so, toured two of the same operation types where it was eight, one, their entire process, and it was 47 steps for another right, right, <laughs> to do the right. same task. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, we typically start there. Now, this is normal, right? I, like, I, we didn't invent this. This isn't new, right? We're continuing a long tradition of operational excellence. And once you have that map, you know where some of the gaps are already. And actually, in our cycle time reduction facilitators workbook, we talk about this, right? That is the first step. And that's going to tell you where you can go to reduce cycle time. You might have other goals, right? But you start here. So you have this process. And let's just get a little bit deeper, a little philosophical for our listeners, right? You have your kind of your business operating processes. And that is the big steps of how you create value, you convert demand, right, into cash, right? And so your operation might be uh, milk, you know, you're producing milk that you sell to stores, right? And your business operating procedure is you milk the cow, you pasteurize the milk, you bottle the milk, you put it on a truck and distribute it, right? And then there's something in like the bill collection finance side to actually get paid by your customers, right? That's your business operating process. And then underneath that, you have like your SOPs, your standard operating procedure. Your procedures are the approved method for fulfilling that uh, operating, um, business operating process, right? So your process is like your big, big picture series of steps. Your procedure is, this is the approved way of doing it, right? And so in the example, you know, milking a cow, the approved process involves like a milking machine, sanitation, et cetera, et cetera. Take, a, take us through like, the unapproved process, John. You know, farmer, farmer Joe sits down on a stool. Okay, let's go, you know. Hey, this is pretty good, you know, right? There's a lot of ways to milk a cow and some of them are gross. I guess all of them are gross, but- They're all you know, gross. <laughs> when you think about what you're doing, it's gross. <laughs> so some of them are worse than others, right? Um, so- and then your standard work is like you're in, you're a worker in this value chain and your job, you do these specific steps. It's even more detailed to execute this procedure, which is the approved way of doing the process. Okay. So those are like the layers. And we often talk about the difference between process, procedure, and standard work. Right. And so if you look at your big picture, when we map an operation, we're typically mapping the procedure level, not the process level. And that's important because a lot of businesses realize, well, this procedure, yes, like we establish it as the approved method for executing the process, but it's not very good. It sucks. We can improve it. We can change it, right? The problem is a lot of the activities are required by the software that drives the system. Yeah, you're moving from a, like, the big thing I see from a philosophical game, you're moving from my hands move a process forward to a software drives it. It is the signal, it is the operator, right? You are just inputting into that system. But 
the software literally becomes your system. And if you're not ready for that, if you're not flexible for that, if it doesn't have inbuilt flexibility to adjust to your, uh, that's where it's gone left hand. Every single time I've been a part of it. Is that blue Dr. Pepper? Yes. Sponsored by, not going to say which ERP city in New York, but if this is you and you're colored after this Dr. Pepper can, go yourself because you suck. (laughs) We would also like to thank our sponsor, uh, James Bean. Um, Great story. We appreciate appreciate you underwriting the show. Um, I didn't know it came in blue. They don't have that up here. Dark Texas thing. Yeah. Everything's different in Texas. You guys are special. Um, so anyway, it, we have this map that we have, and it's, it's typically of the procedure. And that's when we really involve the senior management and say, what's the process? And, you know, 90% of the time, the business operating process is not actually documented either, right? Um, and so, so we work on that. And then the, the standard work, the execution of that process, we get into that last because the, the procedure is typically going to change pretty rapidly and pretty dramatically. And so we're able to integrate standard work creation along with the procedural change that you know better reflects an efficient execution of the business process. Right? So that's kind of a standard method for improving a business, right? And if you look at the beginning of demand creation, and then you look at the end of demand fulfillment, there's a series of steps that transforms this input to that output, right? That's kind of the definition of a process. And all you're looking for is what's the most efficient way to transform this into this, right? Um, An example from kind of a typical order fulfillment warehouse is you have, you are receiving store ready material. That is, by storing, I mean, being able to put it away into your inventory, right? So you're receiving this through an ASN, it's typical, right? And you are transforming it by turning it from goods receivable into inventory. And you're doing that primarily through a computer. And you're typically like attaching a label or something like that. Not always. If you're working with your supplier, you can just integrate the, la- the label that came from your supplier, right? That doesn't okay. exist. That's not a real thing. <laughs> yeah, you need to work to one automotive. Um, and then, you know, if, if you're... Take that big box retail. <laughs> Looking at you, Lowe's Depot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and so then you have this, this uh, inventory, right? And when you're shipping it, you're transforming it from inventory to ship-ready goods. Now, I mentioned Tier 1 Automotive because I have experience in that. If you're doing that, you typically have to repackage. There's like a repackage operation to put it in these reusable Kanban containers that go line side to the production facilities that you're serving. Um, But maybe maybe you're doing like e-commerce. You still typically have to use a computer to transform this from inventory to shipped goods. And often you have to put some kind of label on there. Um, If you're using small parcel, you have to generate like a UPS label or something like that, right? That's the transformation that happens, even though nothing changed physically with the goods, right? You might be using the exact same box even from here to here. You might be changing or adding labels, right? Mm -hmm. But you have to transform what it is in the computer from here to here. And that's all a process is. And as we're looking to really help any organization achieve operational excellence, most of that has to do with management, but a good portion has to do with the value creation process because that's where a lot of your money is, right? A lot of your waste is in that process. And so, you know, we take a typical lean approach of let's, reduce the waste in the value creation process, right? Well, what happens when the software doesn't let you? And that I think is the starting point for a lot of our listeners out there. We get, we get to immediately see how leadership actually behaves and what their value proposition is. 
That's like the number one most painful thing that pops out is, well, John, fucking deal with it. <laughs> you know, oh, you yeah. get those. Yeah. And then yeah. you get this people. is the way the business is. Yeah. You get people in reality that are actually salient in their thoughts and they think, all right, I have to do to change that. And you can only be in one of two buckets. If you were in the middle, you were in the shitty bucket. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's no middle yeah. ground here. Yeah. So I think, uh, I think that kind of sets the table for everybody listening, right? You, you probably, if you're in any kind of operational environment, you understand that technology and software is a big part of today's world. And there's a good chance that the software that you are using is keeping you from streamlining your process because it can't do what you're trying to do, right? And it makes sense because, you know, on the one hand, you could, you know, hire a couple of MIT grads or something like that and have them custom build you some software just for your company. I can't imagine what that would cost. And there's also like a built-in risk there because there's no universal support for it, you know? So like, There's no change in the future. It could perfectly suit you 1000% today. Like, you know, for those of us that have ex-wives out in the world, that doesn't mean it's going to tomorrow. (laughs) And anybody who knows that knows they will not adjust. So you need to throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Um, So not only are you dependent on, you know, Sven and Igor or whoever wrote your webpage, you know, to stick around. One more time for the audience. <laughs> what, what are your developers' names? Sven and Igor. They, they're software developers. Why right? are they Why are they named like after my old dogs and <laughs> I don't know. It just, it, I don't know. Um, so, but now you're reliant on them because it's completely custom, right? There's nobody else. And then you have to come up with some program for them to pass that knowledge under. There are people, you know, who may or may not get it or be smart enough and you still you're stuck with like i have to have access to these people because the business is going to evolve and the software has to evolve now on the other end of the spectrum you have like off-the-shelf software zero customization i'm going to get quickbooks for example right a lot of small businesses use that for their point of sale operation zero customizability i have to change my process of accepting your cash for my goods in order to use this software zero flexibility, right? And in a lot of these cases, not only does it not matter, but it's probably an improvement over what I was doing before, right? Their point of sale Mm -hmm. system is pretty efficient. It works pretty well. And it's still the same old, like type in an order, you give me money, here's your receipt, you know, good to go, right? So you don't have to kind of overthink that. And then somewhere in the middle are these highly capable uh, ERPs, that are customizable depending on how much money you want to spend, right? How many resources you want to invest. Um, But at the root of it, at the bottom, when you go all the way down is software architecture and that doesn't change, right? Now, I don't want to get too nerdy, right? For our audience, I'm going to get a little nerdy. Here's our SQL table of tables. (laughs) You have uh, objects in object-oriented programming, right? And they call other objects and they pass parameters to other objects. Those are fixed. Okay, those are not dynamic. That doesn't change. And so if you have like nested objects in software, that doesn't change. How you use them and what you name them can change, but the way that they interface with each other can't change. Okay, so to kind of um, use a metaphor for everybody else that I might have lost along the road there, imagine Russian nesting dolls, right? The little one fits inside the bigger one, fits inside the bigger one, fits inside the bigger one. I thought you were going to start there, but you ruined it by explaining your full nested process and then bringing that in. (laughs) Right. That's how the dolls relate to each other. Now, you don't have to call them Russian nesting dolls. You can call them Lithuanian nesting dolls, or you can call them nesting cranes. Sven and Igor appreciates that. You can call them Sven and Igor, right? Which country they're from. I think it was Ivan, not Igor. But any point being, right, you can name them whatever you want, right? This is a bucket inside a bucket. This one, whatever information is in this bucket is by default in this bucket. But then there's other nesting dolls inside that bigger nesting doll. Anyway, that that software architecture, it can't change. And that's the problem, you know, with a lot of execution at the site level is you want to be able to do something physical and you have to match it with the information. And that's just the world that we live in. 
the information has to travel the same as the product. And there was a time when the information was the product. Right? It wasn't that long ago we didn't have computers. And, you know, like the Model T, like the chassis comes down here, you're supposed to put wheels on it. And you're like, there's no wheels on it. I'm putting wheels on it. You get two wheels on, you get called off to lunch or it's the end of your shift. Next guy comes in. He's not all like, oh, what does the computer say to do next? He's like, ah, it's missing two wheels. I'm going to put two wheels on, right? Now, the quality control wasn't great there because I didn't actually put two wheels on. I put one wheel on and I put one bolt into the second wheel and he missed it, right? <laughs> and the wheel fell off at the highway. Now, how, how I love the night. <laughs> I love the naivete in you thinking old manufacturing workers actually got lunches. Yeah, yeah. Was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No lunch, but it was the end of the shift. Um, anyway, you know, and then it sort of there was an evolution. You'd have like a sheet that traveled with the product, right? So you'd have a physical product and it would have, it would have a product sheet. I know I'm dating myself here. Um, for those of you that, you know, are old enough to know what this is, uh, there was a product sheet and it was printed out and it was um, on a typewriter with, you know, what's what's that three layer paper, the carbon carbon paper, it was typed, right, on carbon paper, sometimes like drawn on with a pencil. But later on that would turn to green bar paper, you know, the kind with the little dots on the side and you had to tear the, uh, tear the strip off. Um, and that sheet would tell like what's supposed to happen for the product and you compared the physical product. Oh, I remember well, did, that one watching that 70s show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, so, you know, today, most of that information is contained in the cloud, or at least on a server, right? But it's on a computer somewhere. Um, so I'm going to tell you about a, a really low tech industry. Uh, and that's the shower industry, right? Glass shower enclosures, because I run a glass shower enclosure factory. And I was at this China, this Chinese factory, Shangzhou, I think. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. But I was at this factory and they had these big sheets of glass and they would score these lines and break out these blanks. And when they broke it out, the machine would print a barcode on it. And that barcode was connected to a blueprint. And when that piece of glass got to the next operation, the operator would just scan the barcode and the machine would say, yep, this is what's supposed to happen to it. And do its own setup automatically, bring the glass in, you know, do what, the what head work. What province was that again? One more time. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> I am sorry. I'm two glasses into Creator's Mark. Creator's oh, yes. Mark. Creator's <laughs> if you'd Mark, like to pay me, I might tell you who's the maker of this. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, that's a very low tech industry, right? When we when we are talking about custom shower enclosures, you have to go into the home because homes aren't square and you measure them and you cut these panels and they're always, you know, a 16th or an eighth of an inch out of square. That sort Most of thing. homes are square. John. They're not square, Most even the new ones. Square. And after they settle, they're even less square. Um, and so with a frameless shower, it looks like crap if you don't have that outage because you'll just have this gap and you have to like stick silicone in there. Right. And, and you can tell it wasn't done right. So each piece is custom, right. To, to fit the actual dimensions of the home. And that's it. And you're just taking glass and you're like cutting out squares and, you know, cutting notches for hardware holes for handles and that's it. And then you sell it, you know, to a tradesman an installer who goes and installs it in the home. Right. And you have people that have traditionally been able to do this out of their garage and you don't need a lot of tools and you can actually earn a good good living doing this. Right? But here's a factory where in today's world, the cutting table that cuts out this blank actually prints a barcode on the glass. And then it goes to a fab machine and the operator is just scanning the barcode and it brings up the program and it runs the glass. And the operator is there to make sure that you know, the sales guy that entered the program for the glass, you know, didn't mess up, you know, have the router on the wrong side of the cut line, you know, the outside instead of the inside, something like that. And that's about it. And, and just kind of watch the machine and make sure it's working right. That's the kind of world that we live in, right? Okay, but now think about that system that I just described. What happens when you decide that the most efficient way to run this glass is not for it to come off the cutting table and go straight to that fab machine. 
right? You might, instead of using like a one-step router to cut a smooth edge in the glass, you might have a separate mechanical edge machine, edge polishing machine to polish the glass and then just use fab for the notches, you know, hinge notches and holes and stuff. Well, that makes sense if half of the stuff you're producing is now panels, doesn't get any fab work. And this machine is now clogged up with a bunch of glass that only needs to be polished on the edges. But the problem is because the tech you have in place, you can't route the panels over here and just get them polished on this machine unless that machine also supports the software system where you can scan the barcode. So this is the this is where a lot of people find themselves is they're in a situation where they can't like adapt and be agile and change the process to become more efficient because either hardware like this edge polish machine that supports their software doesn't exist or the software isn't smart enough to figure out hey whoa glass is going two different directions now I don't know what to do right um, and so that this is kind of where uh, a lot of operations are where the software just it's a constraint like you cannot improve the operation in this direction because the software doesn't support it mm -hmm. I've had that more times than I care to imagine not in the glass factory but something very similar with scanning barcodes and printing we have an improvement that is twice as fast but it circumvents the key nature of how the software should perform and we thought we'd get creative by adding some stationary cameras so that when your barcoded product went through got what it needed to go and holy shit was that a massive failure immediate failure day one failure just pack it up, leave your cameras there. If employees want to take selfies, failure. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I mean, I have a few, you know, horror stories myself about poor, poor technology integration, right? Um, I know I was working at one factory and they used SAP. And there's a lot of advantages to that, mostly because the global supply chain tends to use SAP. And, you know, you can use ASMs and talk to whole other companies, right? Um, and they would run an entire day's worth of production and they would use this module in SAP. I can't remember. I think it's MB51. I can't remember, but it's for reporting production. And they would just type in, okay, here's how much I made today. And so this very expensive software was just used as a shell, right, for data entry. They might as well have had like an Excel spreadsheet and just typed it in there because that's all the benefit they were getting out of the software, right? Um, probably, probably everybody listening to this has some example of technology that, you know, just didn't serve the needs of the business very well, right? Yeah, needless complication is by far an out, like the most common thing I've seen walking through business. I once worked with a business, a crosstalk business, that had forward pick lines with reverse replenishment. Now, before you get to Googling, what in the hell are those two things? <laughs> If you, you can know logistics your whole life and go, what in the hell does that mean? <laughs> and because the software, you know, had some needless complications in making what needed to happen, happen. Yeah. Um, and, and probably like they got the software in and they realized like this has to happen. And so we're going to do it this way, which sucks and is inefficient and is losing us money, but it's the only way we know how to use the software. Right. Mm -hmm. All right, we're going to take a brief break for our sponsors. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere because we're about to talk about some prevention and some solutions. You're listening to A Quality Podcast with your hosts, John Thacker Jr. and Jake Harrell. All right. Thanks, everybody. We are back and we are here to talk about prevention and solutions for your technology problems in your operation. And I really want to start with prevention. I know it is too late for most of you, which is probably why you're listening to this podcast. Uh -huh. um, but <laughs> sucker! Uh, <laughs> you fool, you paid them money. <laughs> but uh, there are some things that you can do prior to uh, utilizing technology and software, paying a lot of money, buying that check um, to protect yourself and your business. And 
I kind of put them into a few different buckets, right? The one is just capability. That's really important. The other is integration. So that's the ability of a technology solution to work with some of the other technology that you have as a company. And then the last is legal. And this one gets um, probably ignored too much. Um, I have a couple of horror stories from some attorneys about companies that signed software agreements and just got totally hosed because they didn't send them to legal for review, right? And ended up uh, paying a lot of money for something they didn't use and they couldn't get out of the agreement, uh, that sort of thing. They ended so, up reverse allocating. I got gotcha. you. <laughs> they ended up reverse allocating. Um, so we're going to skip that one, right? Um, I'm going to say that you should definitely have your legal team review any terms of service. So, you know, if you have like a smartphone and you went to the app store and you downloaded something and boom, this thing pops up, like, do you accept the terms of service? And you're like, scroll, 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 to get to the bottom. And then you're like, okay. Well, those 37 paragraphs that you just scrolled through, like they actually say something. And if it's a... <laughs> and a dingo ate your baby. <laughs> and a dingo ate your baby, and that—that's how it ends, right? You just agreed to that, <laughs> right, sucker? So when you're talking about <laughs> when it's a multi-million-dollar deal, uh, you want to read the terms of service, and you want a lawyer to read it for you. So okay, so we're going to set that one up, right? and then the integration. So I kind of think that this is less of an issue in 2022 than it has been because cloud services are now ubiquitous and you have EDI and IDOCs and all different ways for uh, platforms to communicate with each other. But you just want your senior IT team to be able to say, yes, like, you know, maybe uh, what was that Rocky Mountain? What was the name of that that uh, old accounting software that like everybody used? I think it was Rocky Mountain or Rocky Mountain Oysters. Or, Why would you or something expect like me to know this old accounting software? I don't know, Jake, like that, my bad. Um, mm -hmm. But anyway, you know, if that's what your company's using, okay, is this technology that you're looking at, like, can it integrate with that, right? Um, okay, and so now we're going to set that aside. So you have the legal and you have the technical. Those are important. You need to deal with them. Okay, now let's talk about capability. The healthiest thing that you can do, right? Who is the decision maker in your company? So I don't know who you are listening to this podcast, right? But who signs off to approve the $4 million ERP deal? Who is that in the company? Maybe it's the CFO. Okay, so CFO, stay on the line. Everybody else, plug your ears. Okay, it's just us. You have to require your operations guys to provide you with a swim lane map of how they create value that has been mapped to the functions in the proposed technology solution. And then you have to ask them what happens when you change this? That's it. Jake? Jake? Okay. Non we're, non we're done with non this. Non CFOs? We're back. You, you can come back. Right. So, what you can't do if you're a leader in a company, what you cannot do is listen to the sales guy for the software company. I'm sorry. Uh, if you don't know this, you shouldn't be a CFO. Um, that is not where you decide, make your decision based on what they tell you they're capable of doing. Okay. Um, but as well, you can't just, you know, assume that some world-class ERP can do what you're trying to do. You can't make that assumption. You have to require operations to provide you. Here is the procedure step-by-step step from beginning to end, and they have to map that to the software. Here's exactly how I would do that in the software. They have to demonstrate that to you. And if you're working with a reputable software company, they have no problem doing that. Right? They want the sale, and they want to demonstrate the capability, right? and they will show you how to do that, okay? If they can't or won't show you how to do that, well, then just move on. There's so many no technology deal. solutions out there. No deal. All right. Yeah, no deal. There's, there's a briefcase. lot of other options. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's kind of in the, uh, the, the preventive side over here. Um, 
for companies that are looking to invest in technology. Okay, so now let's talk about the other 99.9% of people that tuned into this uh, podcast, right? And you are in the shit already. You have technology, it's in use, and it doesn't work right or as advertised. Um, I have some idea, like some big bucket categories we can put people in uh, or situations, right, that they might be in. Um, but I want to hear your take on this, Jake. What are some, you know, common categories for people that are in the shit with their their software? Um, like name some of those buckets for me. Uh, I would say you're in the shit, so you don't uh, curl up in a fetal position and beg for your life. <laughs> There's nothing you can do in either regard that you definitely have. <laughs> well, the, the next bucket is if you're currently in that world, and that's... And that's what capacity do you have to introduce other options, right? If there's some inbuilt flexibility, if there's other things you can do that are out in the world, even stuff out for free that you can do to supplement, right? Supplemental influence, then do that, right? Just learn and do that. And then if you can't change, we've addressed fetal position is I'm in it. It sucks. I can't change it. We have I'm in it. I can change it with other exterior software internally. You have to be able to have salient conversations and you have to produce ROI beyond like that sunk cost fallacy of when we actually need to change the way the damn system is designed. If you're avoiding that conversation, then curl up in your fetal position. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we'll start with that one, right? There, there are legitimate situations. You're in there. You are a, a change management expert. The, the problem that you're facing is that the laws of physics determine what is best for the operation. Oh, John, John, can I tell a quick story that you will absolutely giggle and relate to? Uh, Translate it. Do you remember the trailer size pallet audit? (laughs) (laughs) You put a whole trailer of goods on one meta non-physical pallet to ensure that the goods Uh... (laughs) removed from the scan and load what in the holy hell is going on there oh my gosh yeah the the stupidity that i've seen just because that's how the software works is insane but you know so so this first category you cannot change anything you can't introduce supplemental software you can't change the software that's in place it is what it is the end it's the standard right um, I'm familiar with this working with German companies and um, they tended to be like this top down. These are the rules, right? We have a democratic process for addressing them. Once a year, we have a forum, we take questions, the subcommittee looks at this and, you know, and it's like, you got to know fucking parliamentary rules of procedure to get anything done. Um, and so the approach for everybody, well, this is just the standard, right? And I, I literally witnessed with my own eyes a company flushed millions of dollars down the toilet because they had to use the software a certain way. That's the standard that's approved, right? Ridiculous, right? I've seen that in adjacent Excel sheets right next to it for how they actually run. That's the next category. That's supplemental, right? Um, But so if you're in that category, you know, our recommendation is really simple. Figure out the way the software is supposed to work efficiently and then mirror that with your physical processes. That's the most that you can do. The most you can do is figure out how is this software supposed to work in the most efficient manner possible. And then I'm going to mirror that with my physical processes. Okay. That's really the only thing you can do there is embrace the suck. You're stuck. This is it. It's the standard. Okay. Find how the software is supposed to work. Cause most of the time we go in and you're not using it the way that it was actually intended to. What you're trying to do is use it the way that you were doing the work. And it's not designed to do it that way. The most efficient software path is different. And if you change your physical work to match, you will see productivity improvements, sometimes really significant ones. They might not be as good as if your operation was physics driven, which it should be, mm-hmm. right? Or on but it's the best no you can do. At all. Yeah. Can can I address for just one one second here for listening? Thanks, mom. Uh, (laughs) Is if you could, before you're going down the path of an ERP, have a damn defined ROI. Are you kidding me? The fact that people do this 
for no other reason than it's the thing to do is so beyond me. If you can't get well, more out of it than your manual no system, then don't do it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, my litmus test, right, for technology integration is can it do the job better than I can do it with paper and be at least as flexible? It can be more flexible, but it can't be less, right? Uh, there's a lot of bandwidth to a notepad and a pen. Let me tell you what, you know, um, the number of software systems I've used that could scale better and still be more agile than paper is actually very small. And I, you know, they're, they're dying off. I'm just to be blunt, but I've worked we, with, we so call that the, great... we call that the stripper test. Can she be more flexible for less paper? <laughs> My God. <laughs> uh, and you heard it here on a quality podcast. <laughs> um, it, you know, they're, they're dying off, right? It's a certain generation, but I've worked with managers and engineers that could run a fucking dead nuts, six Sigma operation with paper. They could do it and tomorrow they could change, right? They could do an entire method layout change overnight and everything would be perfect, right? Um, if your software can't beat that, then uh, I'm just not impressed, right? Oh, it's right. fancy. Wow. It's web 3.0. You know, we, we went away from the three-dimensional graphics and now we just have these flat graphics that were designed by some abstract artist in the Himalayas. You know, well, great. You have some pretty fucking software, but I run a business, not an art show. You know, you know, if you travel to Europe, you'll see these scam artists all around, all around bridges and common pathways for tourist traps where they've just printed the cheapest like art possible all across the ground. And what they're trying to do is get you to step on it and then guilt you into a couple of dollars. <laughs> that's like the, the nature of the scam. Like that's what web web 3.0 like reminds me of in its entirety. It's people on the internet in Microsoft paint trying to charge money. <laughs> right. Oh, look at this graphic. It's so minimalist. It's a white square. That's your new logo. Can you imagine the balls on that guy? My company is just the white square company. Oh my gosh. You're so original. Um, we're not art critics, by the way. We don't know anything about art, so don't listen to us. Um, but so that's the category. Like you just, it's not going to change. Own it. Okay. Now let's move into the second category. This is where I think the bulk of our listeners are at and most of the people we've interfaced with. You have it in ERP and you can supplement it. You can't change it out and, and nobody you know, has the humility to say, yeah, sunk cost fallacy. We fucked that up. We're getting rid of that, right? But you can add other stuff on. Now, the problem here is that it is done over and over really poorly, okay? And this is the warehouse that has fucking Red Prairie and everybody's actually running the operation on Excel. On fucking Green Prairie. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's nobody's ever seen that before, right? I just made that up. Right. You know, I love uh, how people have a multi-million dollar ERP so they can get to a screen that gives them precisely everything they want, then export it to Excel and do a pivot table. <laughs> <laughs> you son of a bitch! I've done that so many times. Uh, I'm using a software system right now, and it is the best in the world for what it does. And it prints out, like, if you run a report, the report shows up, and you can't use it. Like, it's just on the screen. Like, how am I supposed to use this? So they added a functionality button to export it to Excel. <laughs> oh, it's a million goodness. dollar button right there. Great. You yeah. see that Excel file. Yeah. Um, all right. So, but let's talk about some more realistic supplementation. Okay. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to kind of do some theory here. For people okay so you're you need to think a little bit in terms of software engineering and process and that's okay it's not difficult but you have your procedure right and right now there are some parts of the procedure that are not efficient and you need to change them and the problem is the software doesn't support that okay i had an entire warehouse i was running okay and this entire warehouse everything we did in this facility did not work with the software that the company had, okay? So this entire warehouse was about to use the method that I'm going to teach you. Here's your procedure. You have these little clusters, right? But right here, 
we're going to use like a, we're going to do a SMED event, right? Combined with 5S and standard work to make this better. And now all of a sudden, software doesn't support the new method that we're using to set up this method layout. Okay. What you do at that point is you, if, if possible, you export the information out of the ERP. You're going to pull that information down here. You are going to manipulate the information in a different piece of software. And when you're done, you're going to re-upload it back into the ERP. Now, we did that with an entire warehouse. So you have ERP over here, IDOC in, do everything over here in a warehouse management system that was designed to support what we did, and then IDOC back out to the ERP, right? So you could do that within a facility as well. So you might have an ERP that is designed for like pick, pack, and ship. And like it's happening with a lot of the people we talk to, right, in the industry, all of a sudden the value creation is no longer this centralized factory hub. It's being spread out throughout the supply chain. So you might have a factory that makes cell phones and they come to this warehouse hub here. And in the old days, you would just send it here. This one's going to Walmart. This one's going to Target. This one's going to whatever, the kiosk in the mall, right? But now... Walmart says, no, 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 you have to package these in this special touch point packaging that like has the Walmart logo on it. And it has this special, you know, Father's Day sale, $5.99 or whatever, right? And then send it to us. But then at the end of that special, uh-uh, nope, you, you can't keep doing that, right? And so you have a kidding function within your warehouse. The problem is you purchased software that doesn't support that. So you're going to export the information out of the ERP, manipulate it however you need to, and then re-export it. So what that could look like is you export into, in the ERP, it's going into a WIP bucket, but you export information on SKU 123. Now down here, you're taking SKU 123 and you're doing additive steps to turn it into SKU 123W for Walmart, something like that, right? And then you're exporting it back into the ERP. Now WIP gets cleaned out. And it's replaced with the new SKU. Follow? That's one mm. method. Oddly complicated, using... but I follow. Yeah. Yeah. That's one way of using supplemental software to do what you need to do physically in the plan. Remember, physics drives your operation, right? To do what is most efficient from a physics standpoint, from an industrial engineering standpoint, and still have the software support. Uh, what you don't, some things you don't want to do. Your ERP has functionality, but you're not trained in it and it sucks and it's hard to use. And so you use Excel instead. And then you go into the software and you're like, copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste. All right. Why do you think all of these uh, clerks have two screens <laughs> at their workstation? Well, <laughs> right? They have two yes, monitors. The control tower Excel monitor. and ERP, right? Get it right. Excel. Minimize DRP with another exception. <laughs> right, right, yeah, right. Um, so that's one way that you can use uh, some supplemental technology, right? Um, there's actually some really creative ways to use supplemental technology. And I think you and I have done a great job introducing this to some companies and helping them out, right? Um, so we have used some software platforms to, for example, do tasks that the ERP doesn't support and it doesn't have to be integrated, right? So an example would be a driver check-in log for deliveries, right? The ERP doesn't support that, but it doesn't need to know either, right? It's not, it, it's not concerned with that, but you have this paper log where you have drivers coming in and you know writing on paper and stuff like that. And then somebody has to check, but oh, wait, what? This guy's been here since 5 a.m.? Well, his handwriting's so bad, I thought it was 5 p.m. You know, what is going on? You know, this guy's, forget his hours of service. You know, this guy's in retirement now. You know, he's yeah, been, here Sven's since... been here for 10 hours. And he hasn't <laughs> done any development work. He's still waiting. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can replace that with a digital tool. And, you know, with some of these modern tools, like we can have a clock in there automatically that will text or email a supervisor and say, hey, this guy's been here a certain amount of time. What's up? You know, um, so that's some type of supplementation that doesn't actually interface with the ERP, 
but adds a layer of automation, right? Functional automation that allows your leaders to free up time from some of this busy work, right? Yeah, I mean, I do it every day, all day. Every time something's introduced, I ask myself, is the data critical that it's integrated? If it is, Zapier's a, a great platform to spend pennies if it being integrated is not critical or necessary, Google Sheets, baby. People say that sometimes I'm a damn ambassador for Google Sheets because they'll text me any problem in the three-dimensional universe and I'll give them a solution in like the snap of about yeah. 10 seconds. We were just talking earlier about uh, PTO requests, just some meaningless thing every company goes through. Hey, can I have off next week? Just yep. automate the request. Google form to submit it. Psh. Auto response pops up, you do it, calendar invites sent. Nobody has to think twice about it. Yeah, and the Google tools are free, right? So let us help you, help your company, right? You don't have to pay software licensing fees. And they integrate perfectly because they're designed to, right? Um, so yeah, it, that's a solution that I'm looking at building right now is can somebody pull up a link on their phone, on their phone, right? I mean, this is this is the world that we live in. And most of my employees are under 25, right? They're under age 25. And they, they want to go- Rocky Mountain accounting. They don't know Rocky Mountain oysters, right? So they're over here like, bloop, right? They click the link, there's the form. They're like, they don't even have to enter their name. Google knows who it is, right? And they're just like, yeah, here's the date and time. And you can have a drop down box and everything else. Like they don't have to think, click the calendar button, right? And then it submits it. It sends me an email. Hey, this person's requesting time off. It integrates with a calendar, right? So we have a, a calendar account and it's displayed on a TV. And now I can walk by and see everybody that's scheduled off next Friday. So I already know I'm not even going to ask for that day off, man. I've got three senior guys that are off. <laughs> I'm taking Monday instead. You know? um, so another great example of automating really you know, mundane everyday tasks your leaders that you know create very little value but are very important to the team like their their vacation like they earned that that's part of their compensation package right but i'm over here like god damn it we're gonna miss 15 trailers today and you're over here asking me about taking off next monday you know <laughs> i don't care about that in my warehouse comments from everybody like you haven't been at your desk all day today and I'm just walking around on my phone. It's like, yeah, for the integrated information, I have a Power BI that gives me what I want out of the WMS. For the non-tasks, I have a Google Sheet that accomplishes every mundane thing I need. Why do I want to sit at a desk? I create zero value if I'm a leader at a desk. I'm only leading that desk. <laughs> right, and we're, we're using technology. You and I are, right? Not, not the world, but we're evangelizing for it on this show. We're using technology to empower leaders to be at Gemma, where the work is done, right? Because that is where you need to be in creating value. Um, and minimizing the, uh, the, the sort of minimum value, repetitive, you know, office task type of stuff uh, allows a company to leverage that talent for something much more valuable. Right, helping the employees. I, I just want to say it's been an hour, John, and you've already Gimba and Kanban to me. I can't help it, man. Like it, I, it was just like, that's how I was trained. Okay. I'm just, I try not to, I'm sorry. I'm not Japanese and I apologize for the appropriate, uh, the, the cultural appropriation. Yeah. Like 10 years from now, like the lean guys are going to go, it didn't look so good calling each other senseis. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> right. Like, right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Jake's on. Oh, he's no project. <laughs> he's no process. Stop that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really cringy. It's definitely like you know, an old guy's world. You know, um, I don't I don't think like modern society really uh, you know smiles on that approach. But it is what it is. So you know, it, but that's where I learned it. Um, that's how I learned it. Um, and then, but then you. So the last camp, right? Because we got to wrap this up. But you. You have this camp where you actually do control the ERP or the technology solution. Like you can change it. Somebody can approve modifications to it, right? So I've got some advice here for you. The, this is my big, big piece of advice. Don't blow your load on the first try, right? If you have a change that you need to make, you better make sure 
that it's going to work and it's going to create value. And like you have an ROI, you can demonstrate. Because if you have to go through this chain of command and get all of these people to sign off on this change, and then you make it and they pay whatever, like the last one that I did, right? Because I'm in this bucket. The last one I did was $20,000, right? And great. And it worked out. But now imagine... your document says printed by and has the user's name at the top. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I've seen that a lot. Wouldn't it be cool if the dealer time was in this column? Shut the right. fuck up, bro. <laughs> you know how much it takes to develop that field yeah, for a DB right. to go in and map something? Right, right. For you to have no ROI. Start with you what you want to earn. <laughs> you want to put another nesting doll in that nest? What? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the, the first time that you do this, first of all, you need to educate the people you're talking to. Yeah, I know nobody in five years has asked us to make a software update, but I really think we need it. You know, you're forming relationships, that sort of thing. It's very important that you do your homework, have a target ROI, know what you're going to get out of it. Pick something where you can show anybody the results and they'll agree, yeah, that was probably worth it. Right. We can put a real dollar value on that. Right. That will give you leverage to do it again in the future. But if the first time you request a software update and it costs time and it costs money and you have people in the org, you know, maybe a vice president or something like that signing off on something. And then, uh, yeah, whatever happened to that? Well, you know, we're doing it the way we used to do it. It didn't really work out. Man, you lost a lot of leverage going forward to make future changes. Right. And that's you can call it politics or whatever. That's just how humans are, right? Right. There's a, I can't more than one. I mean, you're married. You know the, the world we live in. If, 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 you, if you try to suggest a change and it doesn't work out, good luck ever again in the rest of your poor existence getting, getting any different outcome. I'll tell you a fun one for us at home. We have a laundry And you're basket. stuck in missionary for the rest of your life. We, we, have a, we have a laundry basket scenario. I've actually given you this offline. We've laughed about entirely where we come up with a different methodology for how our laundry is going to get managed about once a week. <laughs> I have no idea why, but for whatever reason, there was a better way forward. Jake's does an absolute ass admitting to it. So we revert back to last week's methodology, which by then I don't know which one we're on. <laughs> <laughs> I cause more heartache than actually solve problems. And uh, now, guess what? I better not make a suggestion to change that shit because I have long <laughs> since cried yeah, wolf for many years. You lost the ability to have an opinion or drive change in that situation, right? Yeah, we, we can definitely do that, you know, in our own spheres of influence. Um, you know, if you develop good relationships and you have a track record, you can absorb failure, right? But look, I'm not going to blow smoke up your ass and pretend that a lot of the companies out there, you know, for our listeners, have the kind of, you know, evolved, enlightened, progressive management that will say, oh, you want to try an experiment. Okay, and here's the cost of the experiment. Here's the risk. And here's the potential gain. Let's run the experiment. I agree. And then you run the experiment and it fails. And, you know, the, the, well, you're fucking fired, John. Yeah. <laughs> Get like, out of here. Well, I see that the experiment worked. It told us how not to get to where we need to go. Why don't you try another $20,000 experiment? How many zeros on that check? You know, like if you work for that company, great, man. I mean, awesome for you. But for everyone else, um, you probably want to win first, right? A couple of wins. And so, you know, be strategic about that would just be my recommendation. Jake? We are getting ready to wrap up an hour with all of our folks bitching and moaning about technology. Hopefully everyone was able to take away some good information that you can use to kind of pick a path forward. Um, if you need help with technology integration, change, or improvement, please reach out to Jake or I at Zoom Operational Excellence. Of course, the links are down below, John at zoomopx.com or Jake at zoomopx.com, and we will be happy to help you out and talk through what your problem is, help you understand it better and maybe what some solutions are. Jake, any closing thoughts for our audience? Yes. If, if the vest is intimidating, you can always just DM me on LinkedIn. 
this this best. Uh-huh. Hey man, I'm a good looking dude. Look I that. can't tell if you're a butler in a 1950s restaurant or a new villain that just got caught. No, but I have a mustard stain on my shirt and you can't see it anymore. So I feel like I just won. So <laughs> just saying, dress in layers, everybody. You never know what it'll protect you from. <laughs> well, for everybody out there in YouTube land, thanks for joining us as always on a quality podcast. Goodbye. Boop, 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 boop.